have you ever read the Bible, um, especially the Old Testament, and thought, wow, God has a lot of names? Yes? Lord, Adonai, El Roy, all the Jehovah's, right? God's got a lot of names. And sometimes you might think, man, can't we just call him God? Well, today in a message that I'm titling, What's in a Name? I wanna talk to you about this idea that God has a name that reveals who he is and how we can relate to him. God has a name. Okay, now God has a lot of names that he's known for, but what I need you to understand this morning is God only has one name that he goes by, and it reveals who he is and how we can relate to him. Now this name, which God calls himself, shows up in Exodus chapter three with one of the most well-known Bible characters, Moses. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter three. I wanna kinda set the scene for you by telling you the story of Moses. So Moses was born when the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. Around the time of Moses' birth, Israel had grown very large in number, and Pharaoh, out of fear of a Hebrew rebellion, decided that he was gonna curb the Israelite population by killing all of the baby boys under a certain age. Well, unfortunately for Moses, he fit the description. Well, in an effort to save Moses, uh, his mom puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile River, which sounds crazy, and it is, because the Nile River is dangerous, right? But we know that God's sovereign hand was all over the situation, and what happens is uh, Moses is found by one of Pharaoh's daughters, and he's raised as an Egyptian, now, by the time Moses reaches adulthood, he realizes he's not an Egyptian. He looks at himself in the mirror. Well, they, I don't think they had mirrors, but he, he, he figured out, well, he doesn't look like the Egyptians. He looks like the Hebrews, right? He realizes he's a Hebrew. And so Moses begins to connect with his Hebrew roots. He starts to, to develop feelings for the Hebrew people. And one day, um, as he was going about his business, uh, the Bible tells us that Moses witnesses an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew slave, which makes him angry. So what does he do? He kills the Egyptian, all right? Now, he's in big trouble, and so uh, he, he's, got, he's got a couple of options here, right? He can run away and hide, or he can try to get buddy-buddy with the Hebrews and get them to help him, and he can just kind of go, you know, mingle and, and, and kind of disappear within the Hebrew ranks, well, he goes to the Hebrews, and the Hebrews go, bro, we don't know who you are. Get away from us. We're enslaved here in Egypt. We got enough problems on our hand. We don't need another problem. So get away from us, right? So what's Moses gonna do? Is he gonna stick around and, and get captured by the Egyptians and, and be thrown in prison or, or, or killed for his murderous act? No, he runs, right? So you guys probably know the story. Moses runs out of fear uh, to a land called Midian where he ends up marrying the daughter of a pagan priest. And many years later, okay, I think it was 40 years, um, the Bible tells us that Moses is shepherding a flock near Mount Horeb, okay? And while he's there shepherding the flock, he sees a bush that's on fire but not burning up. Curious, he goes to see what's going on 
And this is where God speaks to him. And this is what God says. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm paraphrasing here. God says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people, the Hebrews, and I wanna save them. I wanna rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. I wanna rescue them from centuries of slavery. And I'm gonna use you to do it. Now, understandably, Moses has questions. And this brings us to our main text for the day, which documents one of the most profound moments in all of history, which is when God reveals his personal name. So let's lean in here in Exodus chapter three, beginning in verse 13. The Bible tells us that Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. And so you get the scene, right? Moses is uh, kind of minding his own business, shepherding a flock, he sees a burning bush, goes to check it out, and God speaks to him, right? And God says, I wanna use you to rescue the people of Israel. And Moses goes, okay, but who are you? Who are you? What's, what's your name? If I go to these people, I, I need to be able to tell them who you are. Now, if you ask me, this gives us a little bit of insight into Moses, okay? And maybe this is a new perspective for you, but we need to understand that Moses was raised as an Egyptian. He married the daughter of a pagan priest. What does that say about him? Well, what it says is that Moses was familiar with hundreds of gods. And so when he's encountered by this God, he goes, what's your name? In other words, which God are you? And this is what God says. God says to Moses, you wanna know my name? And I'm paraphrasing, but, but God goes, you wanna know my name? Well, I've got three things to say to you. And the first thing that I wanna say to you, Moses, is I am who I am. I am who I am. And what you need to understand this morning is God wasn't saying this is my name. In effect, what God is saying when he says I am who I am is this, look, before we get to my name, let me share with you my very existence. I am who I am. In other words, before I tell you my name, I want you to understand my being. I am who I am. And then God says this, tell them I am has sent me to you. Now that phrase I am in Hebrew is the phrase ehyeh, okay, ehyeh which is a phrase that means to be, okay? And so understand, God's still not saying that this is his name. What is he doing? He's building a bridge between his being and his name. You follow me? In other words, God, by saying, tell them I am has sent me, has sent you, he's, what he's saying is, is he, he's putting the statement of his being 
in the place of his name. Now, the third thing that God does is he reveals his name. All right, so he says, I am who I am to say, this is my, my being, this is my existence. He says, I am, again, reemphasizing the statement of his being. And then finally, God reveals it. He reveals his name to Moses. He says, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Did you catch it? He says, the Lord. Now, it's almost always translated, the Lord, in all caps. Look at your Bibles. Confirm with me, please. It's almost always translated into the Lord in all caps in the English Bible. And in Hebrew, it sounds something like this. Yahweh. God's name is Yahweh. He says to Moses, say to this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Yahweh is his name. Can we say that together? Yahweh. Now you might say, wait a second. What about all the other names of God? What about Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah Shammah and Jehovah Nisi and Jehovah Shalom? What about Jehovah M. Kadesh and Jehovah Tzitkanu and, and what about El Roy and El Shaddai? Well, what you need to understand this morning is that those names, a lot of the names that God is known for are connected to his work and describe what he does. Yahweh is God's personal name. It's the name for who he is, not what he does. And I cannot wait to tell you what this name reveals about him. And so let's get to it. Okay, this name Yahweh is so incredible and so profound. And I wanna tell you this first, that this name reveals to us that God is who he is apart from our opinion about him. He is Yahweh. Amen. Some of y'all aren't, aren't, aren't clapping this morning. I need you to understand this morning that God exists outside of your imagination. Okay? God is not what you want him to be or even who you're afraid that he is. There are not different versions of him based on your upbringing or your presuppositions. No, he is Yahweh. He is who he is. He will be who he will be. He is the one who was, regardless of what we feel or what we think about him. Now, when I was thinking about this the other day, the idea that came to my mind was Plato. When I was a kid, I loved to play with Play-Doh. And I really enjoyed the Play-Doh sets that came with the different colors of Play-Doh and the molds. You guys remember that? And I, I would take the red and the green and the yellow and I would mix them together and I would squish them into the mold and make whatever I wanted to out of it. Well, what you need to understand this morning is that God is not like Play-Doh. We do not get to squish him into the mold that we think that he is. No, he is the eternal God who exists beyond our opinion of him. He is who he is. Now, this is a really big idea, isn't it? It's massive theologically. It's so big that I could probably take seven weeks to teach about it. But what I wanna do is lean into it 
for a little while with you by pointing out four very profound truths about Yahweh that I believe are essential for our understanding of his essence, of his very nature, okay? And so we have this idea that God is who he is apart from our opinion about him. His name is Yahweh, and this is what it reveals, that he is who he is. Now, what I wanna do is sort of unpack that in a greater theological sense by telling you, number one, that he is distinct. He is distinct. There is no one like him, okay? Now, follow me here. This is, this is really, really um, important, I think. In fact, I've had several people tell me, wow, I've never heard this before. Um, he really is distinct, okay? So, so listen to this. This is really, really good. All right, when God revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh, what you need to understand is that he was establishing the fact that he was unlike the other gods that Moses had heard about, okay? Now, that word God in Hebrew is Elohim. How many of you have heard that? Okay, how many of you have called God Elohim? All right, so we're very familiar with the term Elohim, but what you may not know is that Elohim is really just a category name for God. The word Elohim is actually used to refer to God or the gods, okay? So the Egyptian god, Ra, would be categorically considered Elohim. Uh, the god, Molech, would categorically be considered Elohim. Over and over and over in scriptures, the word Elohim is used categorically for God and the gods. And so when Moses, or when God says to Moses, look, I am who I am, this is my being, what was he doing? He was putting himself in a category of his own. He was saying, I am the Elohim of Elohim. I am distinct, there's no one like me. Not only that, but when we think about this idea of God existing outside of our opinion about him, we need to understand that he's self-existent. He is self-existent. He has no beginning and he has no End. He is the uncreated cause of all of creation. Last week I was reading through an excerpt from R.C. Sproul's book, Moses and the Burning Bush, and Sproul points out that when God revealed his name to Moses, he was revealing the profound truth that he exists in and of himself. In other words, God does not depend on anything or anyone to exist. That's pretty profound, isn't it? He's self-existent. Not only that, but he is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He is sufficient within himself. He doesn't depend on you or depend on me or anything else in all of creation. Why? Because he has enough within himself for all that he is and all that he does. He is self-sufficient. And I love what Acts 17, 24 through 28 says about this. Acts 17, 24 through 28 says that the God, or the Elohim, who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, listen to this, does not live in temples made by man. Now that distinguishes him from all the other gods, doesn't it? Because all the other gods did live in temples and were carved out of wooden uh, 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 matter or, or, or gold or silver, right? And, 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 and so God is saying, look, I'm not like the other gods. 
Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands. Now, that's interesting, but you gotta keep reading. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Now, how many of you serve God with your hands, with your words, with your feet, with your life? Yes? Yeah. Only saw a few hands. Anybody in here serve God? Yeah. Okay, look at what it says. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, meaning God doesn't need you to be who he is. He invites you to serve him and to glorify him for who he is, but he doesn't need you. He's self-sufficient. Verse 26, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This is just speaking of God as the eternal and sovereign creator of everything. Verse 27 uh, um, that, that, that his creation should, should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and, and find him. Uh, I, 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 I'm so glad that this is 1135 because I just wanna preach today, okay? <laughs> Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, perhaps. I think there's some folks here today who are perhaps not feeling their way toward God and finding him. You come to church, maybe you're checking out this whole God thing, but you don't know him. Some of you are here today just because your parents made you. You're here today because your spouse made you. You're here today out of some sort of obligation. You're not feeling your way toward him and find him. It really is a perhaps kind of thing, isn't it? Because God gives us the choice of whether or not we will make him the Lord of our lives, right? You see that there? Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. I'm praying that your perhaps will turn into an absolutely this morning. And we're gonna, I'm, I'm gonna come back to that a little bit later. It goes on to say, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. I'm gonna talk about that here in a little bit too. It's just this, this man, this passage is packed with so much. It's talking about a God who is eternally existent, self-sufficient, um, um, self-existent, distinct, like so theologically big beyond anything we could ever think or imagine, right? But then it says this, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. We're gonna come back to that. But, but here's, 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 here's the summary, <laughs> okay? God is who he is, apart from our opinion about him. His essence, his nature is, is that he is distinct, he is self-existent, and he's self-efficient. And not only that, but one more thing here. He is immutable. He is immutable. So we think of, when we think about this God who is who he is, regardless of our opinion about him, he does not change. He does not change. GotQuestions.org um, talks about God's immutability this way. It says, for change to take place, either something that is needed is added, which is a change for the better, or something that is needed is lost, which is a change for the worse. But since God is perfect, he does not need anything. Therefore, he cannot change. Listen, folks. God cannot be improved. He is who he is. God is not becoming anything. 
He is the one who was. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His name is Yahweh. And so look, God is who he is, apart from our opinion about him. He's distinct, he's self-existent, he's self-efficient, and he's immutable. Now, as theologically massive as that is, And as much as it might make Yahweh seem out of reach or hard to understand or perhaps hard to relate to, what you need to know this morning is this. Not only does Yahweh's name reveal that he is who he is, regardless of our opinion about him, he doesn't want to be hidden from you. He wants a relationship with you. Somebody needs to hear this this morning, that God is a personal being who wants a relationship with you. Some of you are here this morning and and you think of God as if he is some sort of distant deity, out of touch with humanity. He's too too big, he's too too holy, He's, he's far from us, he's out of reach. With all the love in my heart, I wanna tell you, you're wrong. Because Yahweh reveals to us that he's a personal being who wants to be with us. Turn to Exodus chapter six, verses two through eight. Exodus chapter six, verses two through eight. Exodus three, God reveals his name. Exodus six, God reveals his name in a new way, in a very personal way. As you're turning in your Bibles there, I just wanna say this. This idea of God being a personal being who wants to know us is a really big deal to to nail down in our culture. There are a lot of people who don't know Jesus that view God as uh, an impersonal force in the universe, okay? There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus who believe God is the universe. A lot of people who don't know Jesus who believe God is just this good vibe or this cosmic reality that brings us all together. But I want you to know this morning that God is not a force, okay? He's not like something out of Star Wars. May the force be with you, okay? God is not some kind of cosmic reality that brings us all together so that we can be happy and sing Kumbaya. That's not Yahweh. He's not just a good vibe. No, he is a personal being who wants to be in a relationship with you. Look at what he says here in Exodus 6. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I am Yahweh, okay? I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, which is uh, the Hebrew El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Very interesting. There's a whole sermon right there, too. You see, you see that? I am Yahweh. I appeared to these, these, these incredible men of faith, to this generation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I appeared to them as God Almighty, as El Shaddai, the Almighty God, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Anybody see anything there? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew the God who made the covenant. They saw his mighty works 
But God says right here, by my name Yahweh, a personal God who fulfills the covenant, I didn't make myself known to them. What's he doing? He's saying, Moses, I'm about to make myself known to you guys in a really, really personal way. Look at what it says. It says, I established my covenant with them uh, to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Does that sound like a God who is distant and disconnected from his creation? No, he is remembering. He is listening. And he says this, he says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I'm gonna bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I'm gonna deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Watch this, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And then he says this, you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'm gonna bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. And so what he's saying here is, look, my name is a gateway to a personal relationship with me. Do you see it? I wanna take you to be my people, and I wanna be your God, and in this way, you will know that my name is Yahweh, that I'm a personal God who loves you and who's for you and wants a relationship with you. Now, I really like this idea that a name is a gateway to a relationship. I really believe that's what God is trying to communicate here. That my name Yahweh, knowing my name is a gateway to a relationship with me. To illustrate this, I wanna give a shout out to all the single guys in the crowd today. Would you just lift up your hand? Where are my single guys? Don't be shy. The ladies are watching. Lift that hand up. All right. Now, guys, what's the first thing that you ask a girl that you don't know and that you're interested in? And don't you dare say, I ask her for her number. Because I'm just gonna say it to all you millennials and Gen Zers out there. If, you ask, if the first thing you ask for is her number, you ain't got no riz. <laughs> Clout level just raised real high with me between the Gen Zers and the millennials. I think. Either that or they think I'm ridiculous. I'm not a boomer, just so you know. I'm only 43. I don't, I don't know, it's irrelevant to everything that we're talking about here. <laughs> Let's bring it back. No, what do you, guys, what do you ask for? You ask for her name. And if there's any chance of you getting in a relationship with her, she's gonna tell you her name because names are a gateway to relationships. And that, that actually is true for all relationships. Names are a gateway to relationships. And I really believe that that's what God is communicating here. Now, I want you to know my name. My name is, is a way to a relationship with me. God is saying, I desire a relationship with you. I see your suffering, and I remember my promises, and I'm gonna rescue you. Folks, this is what the Exodus story in the Bible are all about. 
It's about a personal God who doesn't want to be hidden from us, but wants to relate to us. Would you turn to the person next to you and tell them, God wants to relate to you? Turn to Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven. This is so amazing. I love God's word. Exodus chapter 34, six and seven. So Exodus 3, God says, this is my name. I want you to know my name. My name is Yahweh. And there's so much that 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 reveals about him. Exodus 6, God's like, man, I am a personal God who wants a relationship with you. And now Exodus 34. This is so amazing. By the way, Exodus chapter 33, you can look at this on your own later. Um, Many of you will remember this story. I don't have time to get into it. But Exodus chapter 33, God's like, or Moses, Moses says to God, God, would you show me your glory? I wanna see your glory, Lord. And God goes, ah, my glory's too much for you. It'll kill you, okay? But I'm gonna pass by you in all my glory, and I'm gonna show you my goodness, okay? Exodus 34, six and seven. This is where God shows Moses his goodness. Look at what it says. It says, the Lord, or Yahweh, passed before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And so I want you to get this picture. God passes before Moses and he cries out his own name. He goes, Yahweh, Yahweh. And then he spells out the meaning of his name in terms of how he wants us to relate to him. Isn't it beautiful? He says he's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, all these things. And what I want you to know this morning is that you can relate to him. Number one, because he's merciful. He's merciful. Now, you and I are not like God. Catch me on a bad day, and I'm a, I can be a little bit mean. Catch me on a good day, I can be nice and gracious and merciful to you. Ask my wife, she will confirm. She's back there saying amen right now. But what you need to understand is that we are not like God, he's not like us. He is merciful. He's not sometimes mean and sometimes gracious. No, he is who he is, he's always merciful. And this is how he wants us to relate to him. This word mercy is synonymous with compassion. I think compassion is a better English rendering for this Hebrew word, um, which is really profound. Okay, so, so the word that is used here for mercy or compassion is a Hebrew word that refers to a mother's womb, which captures the kind of emotion a mother feels towards the baby that she carries. Isn't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. That's how God feels about you. God's saying, look, I'm not some distant deity who doesn't care about you that isn't compassionate towards you. No, every ounce of my being loves you and is concerned for you. And that's how I want you to relate to me, Yahweh says. Not only that, but it tells us here that he's gracious. He's gracious. How many of you are thankful for God's grace this morning? Did you know that grace originates in his character? It is who he is. And I don't know if you realize this or not, 
but he is far more generous towards us than we deserve. <laughs> That's what grace is. It's, it's getting what you don't deserve. And I love what the Apostle Paul says about God's grace in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. This is so cool to me. I hope you think it's cool too. Listen to what he says. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that. Because God is I am who I am. And a part of his essence and nature is grace. And so because of his grace, I am what I am. Isn't that cool? I don't know, I just really like that. I, I, I really like that. God is gracious, and, and that's how he wants us to relate to him, okay? He, he, he is Yahweh. He is who he is, regardless of our opinion of him, right? He embodies these massive theological truths of distinctness and self-sufficiency and self-existence and, and immutability, but, but he wants us to relate to him as a gracious and as a merciful God. Not only that, but this tells us that he's also slow to get angry. He's slow to get angry. Some of us need to hear this today. Some of you are here today and you grew up with a father who was a hothead. And, and I, I've been guilty of this. A lot of us are guilty of this. But we try to project the image of our earthly father onto our heavenly father. Some of you grew up with fathers who got angry a lot and really fast, and you think God is like that. But can I tell you this morning, God is not like that. He is a God who is slow to anger. He's not trigger happy. He's not in heaven watching you, waiting to blast you for every mistake that you make. No, as Psalm 145, eight says, Yahweh is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and that's how he wants you to relate to him. Not only that, but the Bible tells us here that he's loving and faithful. Loving and faithful. Now, true love and faithfulness are hard to come by in this world in which we live. We live in a world with a very low level of loyalty and a very little endurance in relationships. It's why you see so much divorce, it's why you see so many broken friendships, Right? People, they, they just come and go in our lives so frequently because of such a low level of love and faithfulness. And so I think because of that, it may be a little bit hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around this idea of a love and faithfulness that lasts. But what you need to understand this morning is that is exactly who God is. He is loving and he's faithful and his love and his faithfulness last. The Hebrew word for love used here is chesed. And it's one of the most important words in the Bible. God uses this word all the time to describe himself. It's a word that describes an irrational commitment to another person to do what is right and to stick with that person no matter what. How many of you have heard the song Reckless Love? Okay. It's the kind of love that inspired the song, Reckless Love. Now that song, because of its title and because of its lyrics, uh, came under a lot of controversy. Did you hear about this? A lot of people, maybe some of you. I wrestled with it a little bit too. But a lot of people said, wait a second, reckless love, the reckless 
love of God. We, we, we really shouldn't say that there's anything about God that's reckless. And yet this is the exact kind of love that chesed speaks of. It's an irrational commitment. It's an irrational kind of love. It's a love that doesn't make sense in human terms. But that's Yahweh, and that's how he wants us to relate to him. Now, here's the last thing. It tells us here in Exodus 34 that he is forgiving and just. He is forgiving and just. Are you thankful for God's forgiveness this morning? Woo, I know I am. I can tell you as a young man living for anything and everything but Jesus, going my own way with a one-way ticket straight to hell, I'm telling you right now, that's my testimony. <laughs> God stepped into my life and he lavished his love and his forgiveness upon me and my life has never been the same. I am so grateful for his forgiveness. I continue to be a bonehead. I sin probably every day. Not massive gross sin, okay, don't get me wrong. I'm not living, I'm not living in sin, I make mistakes is what I'm trying to say. And I'm really grateful for 1 John 1, 9, which says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Some of you are walking around with a lot of shame you're a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And you are walking around with shame. Why? Why would you do that? Well, maybe because you have a poor image of who God is. Maybe you think of God as quick to get angry, wanting to blast you for every mistake you make. That's not Yahweh. No, he, he is forgiving. He is who he is. He's forgiving. He loves you. You're, you're, you're one confession away from him lavishing his forgiveness upon you and you being able to, to, to live as a forgiven child of God with confidence that, that he loves you. He's a forgiving God but I do need you to know that he's also just. He is just. Now, a lot of people wrestle with this. Okay, a lot of people struggle with this idea that God's love and his justice can coexist. Okay, it's, it's where we get the age-old question, how can God, who's so full of love and so full of compassion and so full of forgiveness and mercy and grace, punish the guilty? Have you heard this question before? Maybe you've asked it. Maybe you've wrestled with it. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Here's what you need to know. God's justice is not a contradiction to his love. His love actually demands justice. And the good news of the gospel is that God's justice and his mercy came together at the cross. Where Jesus Christ, listen, where Jesus Christ received in himself the just punishment of God. Why did he do that? In order, for, in order that God's mercy might triumph over justice. Key word is might. 
in order that God's mercy might triumph over justice. See, God is loving, he's forgiving, and he's just. He graciously gives us the choice of experiencing his love and his mercy and his grace or of experiencing his justice. Have you made that choice today? What I would tell you is that one way or another, you have. Okay? And here's what I mean by that. If you've made the choice to experience his love by repenting of your sins and and turning to Jesus Christ in faith for the forgiveness of your sins, then you have chosen God's love. If you have not made that choice, then you're by default choosing his justice. Now, I never want to be accused of trying to scare anyone into heaven. Couldn't be further from the truth of what I'm about to do. But I know that there's somebody here today who needs to hear the truth. And the truth is that if you haven't chose God's love, you're choosing God's justice. And if you leave here today and on your way home, you get in a car wreck and you die, you have chosen his justice. And his justice equals eternity in hell apart from him. Now that's really, really bad news. It's really, really bad news, but it's a choice that you're making. But the good news is, is that there's another choice. And that is God's love. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would would believe in him would not perish or experience God's justice, but have everlasting life. That's, That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of Yahweh. He gives you a choice today. Experience his justice or experience his grace. If you're here today and you're ready to experience his grace, I wanna ask you to get up from right where you are and walk over to Andrew, who's standing under the knowing Christ sign. And you say, wait a second, you want me to get up right now in front of all these people? Yep, I do. Here's why. Faith in Jesus is not a private thing. Faith in Jesus is not a private thing. It's a public thing, and it's the best choice you could ever make. So why not today? The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to choose and experience God's grace. Why would you walk out of here choosing his justice? It just doesn't make sense. Choose him today. Get up from wherever you are and walk over here. These guys are gonna be over here to share with you exactly the plan of salvation to lead you to the Lord today. Is there anybody else who wants to stand up boldly and make a decision for Christ today by walking over here, repenting of your sins, turning to Jesus in faith, trusting him for the salvation of your soul? Anybody else? I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here. We've had people stand up and go over it in every gathering. Praise God for what he's done this weekend. Yep, are we gonna praise God for what he's done this weekend? (laughs) 
Even if it's just one, young lady, it's worth it. Hey, come on. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on. For those of you who are, who, are, who are right on the edge of your seat, God just gave me a word. It's not a walk of shame. It's a walk of salvation. Take the walk. All right. Yeah, praise the Lord. Here's, here's my hope for us today, folks as we kind of wrap up. And for those of you who, who took a stand for the Lord today, I praise God for you. The Andrews are gonna talk to you about what this looks like, what salvation looks like. Um, but this is my hope for us today, that we would deeply know and experience Yahweh, the eternal, self-existent, self-sufficient, immutable God who we can personally relate to as merciful, gracious, slow to anger, loving, faithful, forgiving, and just. Do you know him today? His name is Yahweh.